Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Kaya, and welcome to The Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew Pierce, and this podcast is recorded in Bulu, Perth, and I pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty never ceded. On this episode, I talk with Nick Kazakis, the director behind the unsettling horror film Godless, the Eastfield Exorcism. Based on a true story, Godless tells the story of Lara, played by Georgia Ayres, and her husband Ron, who's played by Dan Ewing. Lara has been living with delirious episodes, and instead of following the advice of medical practitioners, Ron instead seeks out the work of Daniel, played by Tim Pocock, an unofficial exorcist. What follows is a horrifying, unsettling, and unnerving series of events as Lara undergoes a backyard exorcism of sorts. In the following spoiler-filled interview, Nick Kazakis talks about how he and screenwriter Alexander Anglis Wilson worked together to present a story like this on screen. Also about the importance of having an impactful poster campaign, and also about Nick's own personal experiences with religion while also how he worked along the supporting cast to explore the ambiguity within the narrative. While this following discussion does contain spoilers, it does not impact the experience of watching the film. I highly still recommend listening to it and checking out the film when you can. Godless the Eastfield Exorcism screens at the Melbourne International Film Festival on August 11 and 18, with both sessions having now sold out. Standby tickets are there, so pop your name down if you are eager to see this in a cinema, in case any arise. In between this interview being recorded and it being published, physical media distributor Umbrella Entertainment have also announced an extra stacked Blu-ray release of Godless, which will be released in October 2023. For further interviews, head over to thecurb.com.au. And for now, here is the trailer for Godless, the Eastfield Exorcism. It's been about three months. Are you aware when you're dreaming? You know what I'm experiencing and hearing isn't real, but at the same time, I believe it is. Lara's condition is medical. A mixture of hypermania and paranoid schizophrenia. This is not her brain doing it. It's not even her. I'd like to have you under observation. Absolutely not. Not again. We did exactly what they said. Those experts had done their damage. Moving away from medical practice would be unwise. This is not a medical problem. What do you believe it to be? A spiritual one. Ah! is still not well. We've got my congregation to pull from and a very supportive community in general. When you're ready, I'm here to help. And if I can't help, I know those that can. Daniel answers to the Almighty and the Almighty alone. Bear your soul to him. Please, to take me back inside. I came here to exorcise the devil. Show our enemy your faith. Christ compels you to leave this vessel now. 
they've made a really impressive, uh, intense film. There's a lot to be. Oh, thank of. you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it is intense. You try to like tell audiences, like you know, even when you do Q and As and whatever, or just like an intro, and it's like, hope you enjoy the film, but it's not really a film you can enjoy. <laughs> it's like it's so depressing and morbid. So it's like, I, I can't really say that. So I'm trying to find the right wording. And it's like, I hope you like it. <laughs> I think that's it. Well, I guess maybe like I hope you appreciate being shocked and scared and upset and terrified. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, here's to being miserable. It's like yeah, should finish exactly. off with. <laughs> but it is it is really, really good. This film has been on my radar for quite a while. Oh, mostly awesome, because awesome. of the the poster. So I want to start talking about that if we can, because building awareness for any kind of film is really, really hard no matter what budget it is in today's market. We've got so many things going on. So I want to talk about how important it is to have a poster that kind of stands out, grabs your attention and goes, this is something I need to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it was like kind of in the forefront. Like I come from a graphic design and illustration background as well. So it's like it. I, I know how important like attracting an audience is from the first sight, you know, and like, you know, a picture will tell a thousand words and, um, uh, in collaboration with XYZ, they were the ones that really wanted to push for more horrific imagery. So we initially just had Lara with the crosses surrounding her and they really wanted to push the demon on there just to kind of allow it to attract a horror audience, you know? So then that way, you know, they pretty much solidified the placement of the film in in its genre. So despite being a true crime and all that, they really wanted to bring in that audience to show the genre bending element of the film. But yeah, that, that that was always kind of like something that we really wanted to go with red, striking, hot, you know, kind of thing and really kind of have it stand out among some other titles when you're scrolling through like, you know, whatever it might be, your streaming service or, you know, a, a library of whatever it might be. We've seen plenty of different exorcism films and, you know, quite a few of them have the whole inspire voter events or this is a true story kind of tagline. And so I went into watching it thinking this is just going to be another exorcism film. But then when, you know, the, the real elements come into play, and as you say, it's more of a true crime story than an exorcism story that really shocked me and got me gripped in a way, which I was already gripped, but I was like, Ah, oh, this is this is a different level. You're playing with a different level here. What's it like playing with those two different that that horror genre and the true crime genre and trying to meld them two together? What's that like? Yeah, it was um it was interesting for me because I I'm definitely a horror fan first, then a director. So it's like I I love directing all sorts of things, but I've always been a, ha- a fan of horror. You know, I went into wanting to make an exorcism type film, and having read so many articles about you know, true uh, real life exorcisms that have just gone so wayward and so wrong. I couldn't shake that feeling. And I actually found that just as horrific, if not more um, that, you know, like people are dying at the hands of so-called exorcists. And um, it really depressed me. And then I'm like, you know what? I think that's the path that I really want to go down. So with the writer, Alexander Anglis Wilson, we kind of uh, sat down and had a plan that this is the path that we wanted to take. So we toe the line with the film and kind of give like, is she, isn't she possessed type thing? Eventually we we make our stance pretty clear, but it was um it was fun to play with those two genres and and kind of 
attempt to bring them together. But also on top of that, I, I had a reviewer ask me, are you concerned about the title exorcism? Because it's not really an exorcist type film. I'm like, well, it, I'm not because it is like, this is an exorcism. It's just, yeah. it doesn't go the way we expect it to go. So yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was really happy to kind of play in that space. Yeah. There's no demon or anything like that. It's all her own mental health problems. And, and that's, I mean, doesn't mean that there's no exorcism that takes place, which makes it even more terrifying and upsetting. What kind of research did you do into Australian exorcisms too? Because we don't really hear about them all that much, but this kind of fringe event does take place rather frequently. Um, yeah. So I'm curious what you did research into. Yeah. So Alex did a lot of research. So not only did he research a lot of um, religious sects that actually do exorcisms and, you know, perform them, but also uh, in real life cases, there are obviously, like you said, there's some in our backyard and, you know, there's even some that have happened you know, six months ago or like a, a year ago now to like a girl that was six years old in Perth. Mm. And we, we were kind of diving into a lot of the court documents and trying to find the common ground. And even you, you take into consideration something that happened in New Zealand, which was uh, the case of Janet Moses, they, they all play out exactly the same way. It's it's really eerie. So it's just like you have a, a, someone, usually a, a woman or a child, that is mentally ill and it's the people they care about them the most that end up performing the exorcisms and brutally hurting them. So, um, yeah, we did, we did a fair amount of research going into, um, court documents in particular, Alex did to get like a common thread. I want to read you as well. There's a a letterbox review about the film, which I think kind of touches on something that I find really interesting. I just want to get your your perspective on it. This is by a guy named Andy Agbayani, and it says, went in expecting some cheap horror fun, ended up with a clenched asshole from 30-minute mark and left with an overwhelming urge to convince my mum to stop attending Bible study, (laughs) which is like a roller coaster of things. But I'm curious if you can talk about what you want, obviously, people to get out of it. You want them to be terrified and, and have that horror experience. But is this a conversation starter for you? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that uh, what I tried to achieve with this film is to shine a light on this kind of injustice that's happening in the world. It's, uh, for me, I grew up in a Christian setting. My mom's quite Christian, and but I've only seen the good side to Christianity, you know, and and religious elements. Like, I went to a Catholic school, and um, although brought up Greek Orthodox, I, the education was better for, for where I was going. And um, I'd never seen the uglier side to things, and um, it, it's not... Uh, it's not an attack specifically on religion, but it is attack, an attack on dangerous thinking. And, uh, you know, this this kind of world where people get in a, a thought bubble and they end up using whatever it might be, whether it be through religious propaganda or political propaganda to, like, try and hurt people, that is not okay. And that that's the stance that we wanted to take with this film. And that's the conversation starter that we wanted to have. So, you know, like, it, it was just truly horrifying that they were using the uh, god's name to actually hurt people beat people kill people and that's just something that uh, uh, we don't stand for and that's like something that we really wanted to push forward in this film i want to talk about the performance given by georgia here as well who she's the center of the film she gives so much in such a varied performance and gives so much of herself how did you help her through and work through creating the character of lara together so her and I uh, go 
further back we've done a lot of music videos or a couple of music videos together and um I, I there was just something about her when <laughs> this is gonna sound so bad but it's like when she shut down between takes it looked like she was soulless she had like she her resting face felt like there was nothing in there and there was something haunting about that and then i'll be like hey are you okay and she's she'd just pipe up and she'd be a totally different person but she'd be able to shut down in between that I, I knew that when I was reading uh, the first draft of this script, I knew someone that could disconnect that way. And it was Georgia and she's such an incredible performer. And um, we did a bit of rehearsals beforehand um, just to get her to a level where I wanted to pitch her to the producers because we had a, a fair few big names kind of jump on board and they all did a terrific job, but I knew uh, Georgia was the one that that could get this film over the line uh you know the one thing that i wanted her to not do was she doesn't watch horror films which is great um so she had no reference point to any exorcisms or anything like that before so i made her watch a lot more of people that had mental health trauma and all that kind of stuff and that would kind of go into split personalities and that is where we kind of took that perspective on the film. And that's, you know, hopefully that's translated across that it's not the conventional way. And it's like a very sort of subtle, unconventional, you know, switch of personalities, which could be considered a form of possession. And how do you kind of exercise that balance of making us question whether it is actually a possession or whether she's actually, you know, being abused and tortured because of of how her mind is like there is that balance obviously it, it we see the reveal probably about three quarters of the way through but in between that we're still kind of questioning whether what is actually happening is is she actually possessed how do you exercise that we didn't lean too heavily on some of the other things that you do see in possession films like we didn't do the voice change which was like so heavy deep voice and like such a like a baby voice or anything like that should we we literally played with her vocal cords and she's got this amazing skill where she can sort of split chords so like everything was kept raw and gritty and quite natural. So like, uh, I think we tried to avoid a lot of that. The, the, the trickiest thing for her as a performer is she's tied to a chair for the majority of the film. So there's not much to act out aside from, you know, what she can portray in her eyes. So we did a lot of breathing exercises to kind of help uh, keep it more on like a, a mental health level. But, you know, obviously the things that she's saying and the things that she's doing are, are suggesting otherwise, but we always try to keep her as raw and as natural as we possibly could. Let's talk about Tim Pocock as well, who is so effective here. He's rather a handsome looking man and yet uses, you know, his looks in a way to persuade people alongside the way that he talks. Can you talk about crafting that character and the visual look that he has with his button up top and everything? That's just by fluke with everything that we were looking for. So we wanted the, you know, the kind of attractive guy next door type thing. It's something that was inspired to me, for, uh, inspired from like things like uh, Psycho, which was like the regular person next door. You know, you, you wouldn't know. Um, and, and that kind of changed the the landscape of horror. Like before that, it was like a universal monsters and all that kind of stuff. And so you've got Norman Bates who like made everyone fear the next guy, uh, uh, you know, that could just be someone that you're serving in like a, a store. So I always wanted it to be someone that was a little bit charming, a little bit more charismatic because uh, the, the best thing about it was that that's the person that you're more willing to listen to. And that's how I felt like he would bring in uh, you know, a congregation of people. It's almost Jim Jones-like, you know, it's like the cool kind of factor, you know, so to speak. 
the the bonus thing that happened with Tim was that he lived this. He grew up, uh, he he was raised in a very religious congregation. He went to a school that was Opus Day, uh, run by Opus Day. He was taught to um, pretty much hate who he who he is. He's he's gay. He's open about that now. But you know, being in this school and being trained to potentially become like a pastor or a priest in it, but also being told to hate the person that he is. It created this conflict that he was able to channel and what he played in this film was so haunting because he he channeled the people that he knew and the people that he was brought up by uh we we had some again some solid tapes from people but there was just something so haunting and authentic that he brought to the table the doctor played by eliza who in those sequences where you know dan's character is trying to push to get a referral to this priest and then of course we get this this guy, this renegade appear, those kinds of that push pull is already building up that there's something not right about him. And then when we meet him, this guy is so persuasive and look at all these people that he's brought along. And it's just, it it draws you into his personality a little bit. It's that, that push and pull of feeling like, Oh yeah, I understand why people are falling for him, but also we're sensible people. We would never go along and trust him. But, yeah, you know there are also people who like the unfortunately I, I don't know the actress's name, but the blonde woman who basically realizes that this is not what it should be and yeah. tries to help her realization in the sequence. You know, it, it carries an impact there. What was it like, kind of directing the the followers and giving them the the tools to, yeah. to create that feeling? Yeah, so it was like, you know, we we really wanted to play with that blind faith. And you're right, like Madeline French, who plays Olivia, which is the uh, blonde character, she's the one that's kind of seeing through the cracks a little bit, which is like, hey, this is not okay. This isn't what I signed up for. Because like, technically speaking, you know, in situations like this, you'll have the possessed person that will kind of go along with it. Like we've seen a lot of, you know, those late night television where people are like, you know, doing their um their preaching and then someone will start jittering on the floor and then they'll be healed and they'll be okay. And in this instance, it's someone that's pushing back on that. So it's someone that's somewhat outside the faith and having Olivia as almost the voice of reason we we needed someone in that room aside from Lara who's obviously suffering from all this trauma to kind of latch onto and those scenes are so important to us for us to have shot in a way where someone on letterbox letterbox has been the best for like reviews it's been so good where it's like I someone wrote I felt like I took part in a murder and yeah. that's exactly what we wanted to do and you know having Olivia there is kind of like what the audience is what I'm hoping the audience is going through when they're watching it. It's um just everything going out of your control. And, and this is the one thing about people like Daniel James King as well. It's like, if you aren't on his side, it's because you don't have enough faith. It's because mm-hmm. God is not helping you see the true picture. And therefore you should feel guilty about that. You should feel that you're a sinner for not understanding the path that needs to take place. And and it's all part of the manipulation. So when I was going to the other people in the room, I'm like, it doesn't matter how full on you think this is, you need to go a part of it. You need to be a part of this ride. You need to think that this, at the end of the day, this is the right way for her. You are saving someone's soul. It's never going to be easy. It might get ugly, but this is the best outcome for them. Listen to someone that has a direct channel to God. So that's how I kind of directed all those people. And then with Olivia, I'm just like, 
you know, I, I need you to kind of stay in that room. It's a little bit of concern. It's a little bit of like, if you've got eyes on her, maybe everything is going to be okay kind of thing. You know, at the very least, that's her way of somewhat being protective, but also she feels that internal, like that internal guilt that's instilled in her by um, uh, Daniel James King. Let's talk about the practical effects as well. They're so important for the film in creating not only the, the the demons and things like that, but some of those events later on in the film. Can you talk about the importance of creating practical effects and how you went about creating some of those, those major impact things? Yeah, I, um, I've always been brought up with horror films and I've always loved the practical effects side of things. I think there's just like, again, another level of authenticity to be behind it. Like when they're reacting to someone, you're reacting to someone there, but we also use a little bit of CGI to help enhance that. And I think both of those worlds marry together quite well. When I spoke to Tanya DeRoss, who did the prosthetics makeup, I we, we used a lot of imagery that we've seen in you know, almost exorcism type books. And, um, you know, the the character of Legion is based, uh, the way that we've designed it is based on a lot of folklore and a lot of religious kind of, I call it iconography of devils that I've, I've seen and that I've looked into, like even through the Greek Orthodox Church, whenever you see a demon and the illustrations behind that, you'll see that there's a lot of similarities to that, to what we had on the final screen with the horns and all that. So it was really important for us to get that right. Coming from a music video background, we've done a little bit of both and we've always known that like we could achieve that to some degree. So, uh, you know, and especially with such a limited budget that we had, we had to be really careful with our planning and really practical with when we were going to shoot it and how we were going to shoot it. But we hope that we've made it stand out and made like you highlight it in the best way that it can be. Yeah, I mean it's it's just powerful. <laughs> There's the sequence yeah. where she's walking uh, thank through. You. Yeah, the the sequence where she's walking through and um goes into the the field and they see upside down burning cross and the the guy with the yeah. the horns legion is standing there and it's just like it's a powerful powerful shot. What was yeah. your feeling like when you're standing there capturing that live like as a director, knowing that you've got something that is going to hit home? It was, uh, it was stressful. Cause it's like, you know, <laughs> the whole, f- like that moment is so it, it, like you said, it's a quintessential moment in the film and it's like, it reveals everything that she's kind of witnessing. We only see glimpses of it. So there's so many factors in that. It's like, we've got a burning cross in the background. So it's like, we had limited amount of takes. We have the demon in makeup, which was like, so uh, the the amount of makeup that he had on him was just incredible. And not to mention he was wearing these hooves. So he was barely able to stand up. There was no support there, even though he's a well-built guy and he just couldn't support himself. And the, the weather was so cold and he's basically naked underneath all of that um, makeup and that makeup's making him even colder. So it's like, you've got it taken. We were taking into consideration his, uh, you know, well-being as well as the fact that, you know, we've got to get the shot that nails it right. So, um, but, you know, credit to Carl Allison, who we storyboarded that, knew exactly how we wanted to shoot it. That was one of the few scenes that we did, story sequences that we did storyboard. We knew that that was the way that we were going to execute it. And then it's just the trust in the team. Like everyone was pulling together to be able to get that shot and make that shot look right. And I just had to make sure that the character, uh, our actors were feeling comfortable and able to execute it. So it was, um, it was a special day. It was one of the most special days that we had on set. You're talking about letterbox before I've, 
talked to a few filmmakers about Letterboxd and I'm curious what your engagement is with it. Do you log films? Do you read what other people are saying about your film? It feels yeah. like such a dangerous thing to go, oh, I'll just go and have a look, you know, is, is the feedback good or not? But I'm curious if you engage with it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm big into reading reviews. I love audience feedback. Like at the end of the day, I'm doing it to entertain or tell a story. So I'd love to hear that. I think that there's a lot of growth that can happen um, from hearing that kind of feedback. So I've been on Letterboxd daily. I check it um, and I respond to most of them. So if you go through a lot, you'll see a response from me. I've uh, I, I've just loved the reception and the feedback. It's I think it's amazing. Like, you know, obviously sometimes a review may not go your way, but it actually creates a talking point and it creates a point of advertising. So I think that being that we are such a tiny film and we've had not a big marketing spend, these platforms are so important for us to kind of get the word out there. And um, when we get like amazing comments, like the director owes me a Xanax and, you know, <laughs> like the one that you quoted as well, it's um, it's really kind of humbling. And also it, it just, it, it's great that people are resonating with it and we're getting a lot of positives more so than any negatives. So it's it's been really cool to see that feedback come through. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. And of course, you, you're you heading over to MIF. You, you're having a MIF screening. This feels like a very much an audience film. I watched it at home. I've got a nice 70-inch uh, screen and it looked stunning. But I just kept on going, ah, oh, I want to see this with an audience because I can feel those audience reactions. What are you hoping for with MIF? I, I think the same. It's like it, it's it's going to hit differently because we've done the audience screenings in the US and I want to see how it translates and 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 feels like on home turf, you know, like we it was so nerve wracking going into the first public screening um, in the US in uh, at Overlook Film Festival. And I didn't know what to expect and it was really overwhelming. But hearing people react and jumping and, you know, like almost you know, in disbelief and in hearing the gasps that just, it, it was so um, insane for me to kind of everything that we've wanted to achieve with this film is kind of happening. And it's like, it's resonating with people as well. So I'd love to, you know, experience that here at home and hopefully have people come up to me and talk to me. Like there was a woman that left uh, Overlook who, um, who grabbed my hands on the way out and she's like, feel my hands they're clammy, you did that to me, and then walked <laughs> out. So if anybody wants to do that at Myth, they're more than welcome to. Uh, I, I love live feedback, so it's going to be great. Are you doing a Q&A as well? or you'll be? At, yeah, I'll be doing a Q&A screen. for yeah. both, I believe. So, yeah, so it's going to be like I'll do an intro to begin with and then the Q&A at the end, which will be uh, really fun because for me, I, and I, I would love, I, I know people need to rush off to like different films and all that, but I'd love people to stay and engage with them. Like, I think it's just a great way to talk it out and have like a, a group conversation. And it's, it's one of my favorite things. It's, it's that for me is more fun than sitting in there and watching it with, with people. I actually love connecting with everyone after that. And so, I mean, this does feel like the kind of film that you need to debrief afterwards. Like, did you all experience the same thing that I had? Did you all go through those emotional moments and things like that? It it, it does need that kind of experience. So I hope people do stick around to, to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why we do it, right? That's why we're in this uh, field and that's why we're in this industry. And not to mention, that's why people go to MIF. It's to connect with the filmmakers. They're like the film, love. The, they're the biggest film lovers or anyone that attends a film festival. So it's like, I feel like it's, it's the best ground to kind of attend and 
take part and then have a chat about it later. And it's like, you know, even if there's something that, you know, wasn't too clear or something that you want more information on, that's why I'm there. You know, that's why I'm there to stick around and have a chat about and like hopefully give some extra clarity or even give some insight to things. I also like inspiring the next gen of filmmakers because there's so much talent out there, especially in our backyards. It's like if they're asking you know, production questions, like we're there to give that to them. So it's like, you know, we, we like giving the technical, we love giving the story and we love giving the <laughs> everything else. That respect and that, you know, fostering and supporting a generation of Australian filmmakers. Do you feel like you're part of a new generation who are trying to push for Australian stories on screen and in a different way that has been done before? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope so. I hope I am. But like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm incredibly humbled and honored to be a part of like an awesome lineup of films that are kind of coming out at the moment. It's, you know, we're, we've been picked up by Umbrella and, you know, we've, we're often talked about amongst films like uh, Talk To Me, which is huge. And then you've got Late Night With The Devil, which is the Cairns Brothers and Monolith. You know, we were at a festival with them, which is Matt Vesley. And it's like to be in that kind of company is really cool. And um, if we can keep pushing and keep making more stuff, and then encouraging other people to do it, it's it's going to be the best. I think it's like it, that. That's all I want. Like I I, I, get, I came into this business because I love cinema and I love films. And the more I can watch, the better. And the more that come from our backyard, the better it will be. The last thing yeah, I want awesome. to talk about is, of course, John Wood. Uh, I grew up with Blue Healers, so I was like, ah, oh, this is in the Blue Healers universe. I know it's not, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm gonna pretend that it is. What's it like working with John? uh yeah it's a, it's a prequel to blue heel no no it's um <laughs> no he's he's awesome he just um so obviously COVID had hit pretty hard and um he wasn't working he was doing a lot of theater we had contacted him during our lockdowns I think he was just like so honored that firstly we were fans because I grew up as a little kid watching that uh show and um you know it was just like that was our cop show right so it's like yeah. it was fun to kind of like have that representation then you know like when I was a little kid I was always like wanting to be a cop you know and so um getting to work with him later down the line he was just so uh like warm is the best way to describe him like he was just a warm soul on set like he'd come in thank everyone have a good time then he'd come to like the rap parties and drinks and all that and he was just really incredibly encouraging like he's um said the nicest things to me as a filmmaker that I've ever heard you know um and uh yeah having his level of experience and his um his compliments really gave us some confidence going forward, but he was great to have on set. Just so fun for everyone. And not to mention the star power of having, you know, like someone from Blue Healers, like the veteran of Blue Healers, um, was great, great to have with us. I mean, obviously we're head straight, we've already kind of gone into spoiler territory as such, but the, there is a moment that he shares with Tim's character, which is just so this kind of uh, creepy almost vibe of like, yeah, look, you know, we know that you're trying to do the right thing, yada, yada, yada. Like, we're both religious people. It's okay. You'll be fine. And then we read what happens at the end. But it's like there is this balance of where is the the efficacy of being a police officer and treating the crime as it happens and then your religion as well. In that moment, like, I could have had a whole film about his character and the complexity there, but that was such a powerful, powerful moment too. 
Yeah, and like, uh, you know, credit to John Wood and Elisa Matengu as well, who both have to stay within their worlds of professionalism. Her as a psychologist, she's got her boundaries. Him as a uh, police officer who has superiors, who has his uh, boundaries. Like, we really needed the audience to kind of relate to someone, you know, and those two characters help with that vessel to kind of allow us to say, okay, what we really want to do is, you know, and what uh, John's character says, Detective Chambers is like, you know, what it's that line where he's like, I yeah. don't want to, you know, don't make me drag drag you out of here kind of thing. And it's like, he really needs to like um, keep that professional front in. But yeah, you're right. We, we wanted to also kind of have the point of you've got, let's say, Elisa, who is all the path of science. And then you have him who's actually that middle ground of like probably a believer, maybe agnostic, but he had that sensibility to be able to separate what belief is and what abuse is. And that mm-hmm. moment between him and uh, Daniel James King is an, is it's an important one to kind of at least say that we're not just beating down on religion in any way. We're beating down on people that use it in the worst way possible. And uh, I think, uh, I hope that that moment really came through. I, I It certainly did. Yeah. Nick, it's been a real treat to be able to talk with you and it's been a treat to be able to watch film. As I mentioned, like it's been on my radar for a bit simply because of that poster. And so getting to watch it, I was like, yeah, it's nice when a film you anticipate matches what you're hoping <laughs> to get out of it. So uh, congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Like, uh, like the compliment is so humbling and like, I really appreciate you watching it and, you know, wanting to uh, get the word out. Love this podcast, support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.